Welcome to the Wholeheartedly Podcast, a space where emotional sponges can absorb understanding, acceptance, and joy while navigating both work and life. I'm your host, Kaylin Staten, and every other week we delve into the deep waters of what it means to integrate all facets of your life. It may be messy, beautiful, and everything in between, but at the end of the day, this is your story. This podcast aims to showcase stories to help you along in your journey, no matter where you find yourself on that path. Be sure to connect with us on social media, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Hello, and welcome back. I am so excited that you're here, and this is the second episode of the show. Thank you to everybody who has listened so far, have liked the Wholeheartedly podcast on social media, and are currently subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. It means the world to me to know that people are listening, and a lot of the content already is resonating with people. I feel like it's just a really surreal moment as I'm sitting here behind the mic talking about this, but thank you. So I've been collecting things since I was a very little girl. I can't tell you how many Wizard of Oz items that I have, as well as Star Wars and other TV shows, movies, and basically just anything under the sun. I feel like as a highly sensitive person, I've always been seeking items and experiences that will help me either get through something that is negative or to celebrate something that's positive. And that really means collecting things. It could be collecting memorabilia from everywhere you travel, like an ornament, a snow globe, or a magnet. I pretty much do all of those when I travel. I can't tell you how many red lipsticks I have. I love a good red lipstick. I have certain brands of pens that I always like to write with. I have books. I have Art Deco items. I could go on and on about all of the things that I do truly collect. And of course, I had way more before I decided to Marie Kondo my possessions and get rid of things that essentially don't give me joy because I was swimming and stuff. Today, I want to talk to you though about how I like to collect achievements. If you know me in real life, as you get to know me on this podcast, you'll realize that I am pretty much an overachiever and this is much to my dismay because a lot of times it puts me in places that are really uncomfortable. It makes me a version of myself that I don't necessarily like. It makes me overwhelmed. It makes me irritable. It makes me have this like one track mind of wanting to achieve things. And if I'm off track by even a millisecond, then that will just throw off the entire thing and throw off my mood. And people around me honestly suffer because of it. And as a highly sensitive person, achieving things goes hand in hand with who we are as people and just our overall personalities and wanting to people please and just do things that are in our nature to be able to do. Underneath all of the accolades and all of the pomp and circumstance is honestly the little girl version of myself who continuously craves love, acceptance, attention. These are the things that I deep down wanted and needed when I was achieving things for years and years until ultimately I decided I couldn't keep running 
from fears and wounds and trauma, as well as a general lack of self-acceptance. These were things that I've had to unpack on my therapy journey and really get to the root of what achievement really does mean to me, things that I can keep and get rid of. I am a control freak and I like to control things. I like to control how I feel internally. I like to control situations. And in a lot of cases, I like to control people, how they react to certain stimuli, how I react to their reactions. And I often found that I wanted to achieve things when my external world was out of control. And it doesn't matter how many awards that line my shelves in my office or how many certifications I earn. If I don't fix the wounds inside me, then all of these awards and accolades and just this filled up LinkedIn profile will not cure what ails me inside. It was like a wound that was festering. I couldn't move on until I had these realizations. So once all of the allure and the endorphins die down, you're just kind of left with yourself and nothing teaches you about who you truly are than having a child. After having my son, I began to really reflect on who I am as a person, what I want to continue to achieve, and what I want to just leave in the dust of all of those daydreams that I once had for myself, my company, and just move on from those. I realized I didn't like my overachieving self very much. I look back in my 20s and I just see this girl who didn't really have fun I, I thought I was having fun. I thought that I was accomplishing things and having this illustrious PR career. And I was so busy carefully constructing this PR mask that I didn't really get to know myself. And I feel like at 33, I am able to do that a little bit more. It's been a long road. One of the reasons why I want to do this podcast is to show you that hustle culture is not sustainable. And we'll get into a lot of reasons why I came to this realization and just a little bit about what is so addicting about achievement. So I was tired of being an uptight, never fulfilled person who was played with insomnia, judgment, muscle pain all the time, and just negative thought patterns. I was going down a road that I didn't necessarily want anybody else to follow. And that became really apparent after having my son and becoming an example for him, just to show him that yes, you can work hard, but you do not have to give up everything that you love and sacrifice yourself to be a martyr for achievement. I was on a hamster wheel for a really long time and I would spin and spin and spin. I wouldn't really enjoy the present moment, probably at all. I would look more toward the past and really agonize over what could have been or just think about what I could have done better or be nostalgic. And I would also look to the future and really delve into these deep waters of what if scenarios. And they could be positive, they could be negative, but I feel like I was Luke Skywalker in Yoda's hut on Dagobah. And just that quote when Yoda says to Luke that he's always looking to the past and the future, not keeping track of what was going on in the present. That just really resonates with me as I'm talking to you today. And I want you to know that this is such a fluid process and I can't sit here and tell you that I am healed because I still struggle with this all of the time. I 
want to achieve things. I want to remain relevant in my profession. I want to have a successful company. I want to be a good mom, a good wife. I want to have all of these roles. I still am competing with myself to do my best work. I still want to take all of these items off of my bucket list. And so it gets overwhelming a lot. But in this episode, I'm going to tell you how I broke up with achievement addiction. Of course, as with a lot of addictive tendencies, it's not a clean break and I'm still struggling, like I said, with this. Even as I'm recording this, I'm looking at the opposite wall in my office with a lot of industry awards, all of my travel photos from Paris and London, a whole gamut of achievements just staring right at me in the face. Achievement is so ingrained with my personality at this point that I feel like people associate achievement with me and that's not necessarily a terrible thing. I would be remiss to completely dismiss everything that I've ever achieved. I am very fortunate, very blessed, and very privileged to have had all the opportunities that I've had and have worked hard to get where I am. And there are things that I'm very proud of myself for achieving. There are also things that I question why I even wanted to achieve them in the first place. And so hopefully this episode will give you a little bit more perspective about achievement addiction in general. And if you have it, we are in the same boat and it's time to jump off that sinking ship because I'm just going to tell you it's not sustainable. It's a very toxic way to view yourself ultimately, just as with any addictive tendency or personality trait, it won't last forever if you keep doing a lot of the negative behaviors and thought patterns. And so right now, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my story. So I'm going to take it way back and talk about the very first award that I can remember receiving. I know I probably had other awards before this point, but I just want to focus on this particular one because it was probably, other than my birth announcement, it was the second media placement that I'd ever had in my local newspaper. And then, you know, you grow up and you're a PR practitioner and you see your name a lot and it's just a surreal thing to go back in kindergarten and see, you know, when you actually one of your first media placements. I actually won first place in an art contest in kindergarten. And I remember framing it and putting it in my room, just this poster of whatever I had drawn. And I am not an artist. I do not claim to be creative in that sense at all. And so it's pretty hilarious for me to go back and look at this achievement. But I just remember being really proud of that and framing the ribbon and then framing the actual media placement as well. And that kind of spiraled my quest for achievement. As I went throughout elementary school and middle school, I had this propensity for achieving A's on literally everything. I wanted to be teacher's pet in probably every single classroom I was in. And if I wasn't teacher's pet, then I would wonder what was wrong with me. I had this inclination, even though I was a lot more introverted as a child, I wanted to be the center of attention. There are a lot of reasons for that, and I'm sure that I may get into those murky waters in a future episode, but one of the reasons, and it's probably a little bit of a of a woo-woo reason <laughs> for some people, but I'm a Leo, that's my sun sign, and Leo's like to be center of attention. So I wanted straight A's all throughout middle 
and high school. And if I didn't get an A on an exam or an assignment, I would be really self-deprecating. I would feel like I wasn't worth anything. I would compare myself to others. I would really degrade myself to the point of having anxiety and panic attacks. When I was in college, I wanted summa cum laude on my diploma so badly. I literally did nothing else but schoolwork and just preparing for my future career in PR. And I compulsively calculated my GPA. I remember like it was probably every single week and I don't remember how to do that (laughs) now as I'm talking but I I would compulsively do it. I would get online and check all of my grades. And I'm looking at my diploma with summa cum laude on it. I realize now that ultimately it doesn't matter to anybody but me. And again, I'm, I'm proud of myself for achieving that. And I'm proud of myself for being successful in college and, you know, before and after college as well. But there are a lot of things that I feel like I missed out on. And I'm just going to give you kind of some examples of what I missed out on because I was achieving so many things. Probably I would say from middle school to high school and into college, I was really on this path toward achievement addiction. I was probably in full-fledged into achievement addiction. And some of these examples will be as I started my career in PR as well. So I have worked through lunches. There were times I wouldn't even take a lunch break at all. I'd be so focused on what I would be doing that I would be glued to my computer screen. I wouldn't even get up and go to the bathroom unless I absolutely had to. So I wasn't taking care of basic needs. I would not really have boundaries with myself. I would have my phone in bed. As my husband can attest to this, I still do that to this day of having my phone in bed or by the bed. And so that's not really the greatest habit to have. But I would sit there and I would respond to emails late at night. I would again, just be like planning campaign items. I would be chatting with people and I would really just overstimulate my brain before I was about to go to sleep. And so I dealt a lot with insomnia and just not really sleeping very well. I worked events pretty much every single event. So I wouldn't be perceived as lazy because I felt like if I took a break that I would be considered a really lazy employee or I would be judged for just wanting to have a relaxing weekend or evening. I didn't have normal social experiences because I felt like I couldn't have time. If I worked them in, it had to be after every single thing on my to-do list was completed. So I felt like I could fully relax. Like I never felt that balance of yin and yang, essentially of like the high energy versus the low energy. There are things that I look back on and I feel sad that I missed out on them. I didn't go to prom or homecoming except for one prom. I didn't really engage in a lot of the normal college stuff or hang out with people. And so that was something that achievement took away from me in several senses. I would binge work to get everything done. I would work on vacation. If you ever saw the episode of Growing Pains where Maggie Seaver is in the bathroom working on her computer because she had a deadline, but then she also wanted to go on vacation. And then Jason Seaver, her husband, sees her and she semi gets in trouble. (laughs) That was me literally every time I went on vacation, said yes to everything. I offered services with my company that weren't necessarily me. So I would make other people happy and then I would achieve certain KPIs or key performance indicators like 
financial gain or increasing my reputation within a certain demographic. I have wanted to run away. I still deal with this when I get overwhelmed. That's the first place I go is, well, I need to run away. And I like to refer to the scene in the office where Michael Scott gets completely overwhelmed with life and runs away to a train track and hops on the train and misses and then hops on it again and he just wants to run away from his problems. That is literally how I feel (laughs) in these moments and just that image just makes me laugh. I thought all of these behaviors were quirky and cute until it wasn't. I feel like I was covering up my shame and a lack of self-worth with all of these glowing recommendations from people at a girls and My brain was so cluttered. Like I just remember like not being able to go to sleep and it was just so busy. I wanted people to think I was good and smart and dependable. I wanted to feel needed and loved and special, one of a kind, individualistic. Once I achieved something though, it was on to the next biggest and greatest thing that I could think of. I just was always on a fast track to something. I feel like I was going nowhere. I decided again after having a child that I wanted to really get into the reasons why I have achievement addiction and how to go about it. So what is achievement addiction. I'm just going to give you another pop culture reference. I feel like this is what this podcast is. It's just a bunch of TV and movie references. But do you remember the episode of Saved by the Bell where Jesse Spano gets really overwhelmed? And I can't remember. I think it's a test or an assignment of some sort. Again, she's like my spirit animal. I'm way like her being really anxious and uptight, always trying to achieve something in high school. But she took those uppers and she was trying to study and prepare for her assignment or her test. And she was dancing around her room and then she was saying, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. And that overwhelm and achievement addiction process is what I felt for most of my life. It's like this push and pull. And I feel like that's a really good example of what it actually is to want to achieve something so badly that you'll pretty much do anything that you can do to get it in some capacities. Achievement addiction or workaholism or whatever you would like to call it is when a person's drive and motivation to achieve a goal or in my case achieve so many different things becomes so great that other areas of their life really starts to suffer and they're neglected like family, friends, love life, health, leisure, or anything that you deem as a pillar of what you do to live wholeheartedly, you aim to achieve more and more. A lot of times, outward appearances are so deceiving. You see somebody who is really successful, really maybe well-known in the community, having a lot of financial success, having pretty much what every single person would dream of having in a lifetime and having all of these accolades maybe at a young age, but all of those different facets suffer. And an important thing to note about achievement addiction is that it's really closely connected to type A behavior. And type A, of course, is somebody who is very OCD about planning and scheduling, just anal about 
timelines and goals. Honestly, it leads to a lot of health problems like heart disease and all of that. And so you have a drive and a competitive nature and you want to achieve things, but often this is very detrimental. So if you're addicted to achievement and you're a workaholic, then like I said before, you don't usually like to take the time to take care of basic needs. You you don't eat on a regular schedule. You may not even go to the bathroom when you need to. Sleeping is pretty much out of the question. And you may not even like shower. I mean, even to this day, I'm like, if I get in the zone, I'm like, I don't need to do any of those things. You begin to have sort of a God complex and you don't want to give in to your human needs. You think that what you're doing is just too important to push to the side so you're able to have a more human moment and take care of those basic needs or relax. Heaven forbid we, we relax, right? You're also likely obsessed with keeping track of everything from all of your accomplishments and to-do lists to what others are doing or not doing. And so that becomes negative in terms of your interpersonal relationships is because if you are holding people to a high standard, the same standard that you hold yourself, that doesn't really resonate with a lot of people. You measure time as money. You feel like you don't have time to do anything. You feel overwhelmed. Taking breaks, of course, is a weakness. And that, again, is going back to that God complex part of it. You don't schedule downtime. You don't even think that that is even in the equation. There's always something to do from a work task to a chore and you often think that you'll relax later. I remember in my 20s, I would say I'll sleep when I'm dead. You may down a lot of caffeinated beverages so you are up at night to achieve more things. I remember having a lot of these moments of wishing that I could relax but not taking that time to actually do that, not taking that conscious effort to take a break. And there's an I Dream a Genie episode where Genie makes every day Sunday. And I would sit there and I would think, that sounds awesome. I would actually get a break then. All my to-do list would be done. But then you get into that everlasting loop of it being Sunday. And then of course, everybody likes to have variety. And so that didn't really work out in the episode. It wouldn't work out in real life, but it's always nice to fantasize about things like that, even when you're in the midst of trying to achieve a goal. Ultimately, I realized that my hubris was actually making me quite unhappy and unfulfilled. I was really in the midst of tunnel vision and I couldn't see outside of myself to really see that I did have an addiction. And so when you have an addiction, it's too much of something and you'll do anything to feed that addiction. Even to this day, when I have a scheduling conflict or I have to take time away to do something else that's non-work related, I really struggle with that because it's like a drug that you cannot step away from or you feel like there will be consequences and your mind just plays tricks on you that you need to have X, Y, and Z to be successful or to be happy. I realize now that a lot of my achievement addiction was because of overfunctioning. I listened to a podcast recently called Happy as a Mother, and I'll link that in the show notes, but they talked about overfunctioning when you are a mom and a romantic partner. Now that I feel secure in both of those relationships with my husband and with my son, I'm able to really unpack a lot of my unhelpful thoughts and my behaviors. I realized that I used my achievement as a shield to protect myself, especially from trauma or grief, other people's opinions, and just a whole myriad of 
different things that I was trying to shield myself from. I used it to measure my self-worth, to feel like I was in control of something, especially something that was bigger than myself. It really fed my ego, not in all positive ways. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to knock any achievements that I have achieved or anybody else has achieved. I think that achievements are wonderful and I think that goal setting is something that is part of our human condition. I think that when you achieve those goals, it's really awesome. But when you are spreading yourself too thin and your plate is too full, you have to take things off of that plate in order to maintain your happiness. Because at the end of the day, if it's not making you happy, then what is the point in achieving it anyway? So where did some of my toxic achievement and toxic positivity traits and mindsets come from? I could probably give you a lot of different examples and go back probably to the very beginning of my life and really have this timeline laid out. But for the sake of time and energy, I will just focus on a more recent example. A few years back, I surrounded myself with a lot of female role models who had exactly what I wanted. They had large mid-century modern houses with large windows. They had more money than they knew what to do with. They had nice clothes. They had a successful business. They had people working for them. Their whole lives were glamorous and I really wanted that. I wanted the vision that they couldn't be stopped. They wanted to leave footprints in their communities in the world. And I bought into that whole mentality. This was 2015 and 2016, and I was just beginning Hourglass Media, so I was obsessed with trying to find female role models who I could not necessarily emulate word for word or action by action, but people I could take bits and pieces and try to build my own successful footprint from that. I was 26 when I started my company and I don't know how much you know about brain development, but our brains do not fully develop until age 26. So I was right on the cusp of when I made this huge decision to start a company, I was still on the verge of maybe not having my brain fully developed. <laughs> I wanted to look to women who had things figured out, who were maybe like a few years older than me and women I felt like who had made it in a lot of different successful ventures. I realized that looking back, a lot of these women probably had achievement addiction too. I feel like looking back now, a lot of these role models were feeding my anxious overachieving mind and were pretty much everything I wanted to hear and see to feed that addiction. I remember reading Sophia Amoruso's memoir, Girl Boss, and that term has such a negative connotation now, and for good reason, because we wouldn't really call a male CEO a boy boss, and so it's it's a little bit demeaning as you look back at it. I was so dedicated to my hustling and to my achievements that I would listen to the podcast every single time it came out. I remember driving to my husband's, my then boyfriend's apartment a half an hour away from my house and I would drive on the interstate and I would think, this is the life that I want. Not anymore. I have gone back and scrubbed the word girl boss from my company website. I have read countless articles. I'll go back and link 
a lot of the articles in the show notes, even if I came across a lot of interesting articles that give perspective into the term and talk a lot about toxic positivity, achievement addiction. And of course, a lot of these women in this era of millennial female CEOs have come under fire for a lot of really bad practices, whether it is firing women because they were pregnant, not being as inclusive and diverse as they could have been. That really just lays some really negative groundwork. I think that they were all part of this, not necessarily the good old boys club, but the good old girls club too. And so as I was reflecting, it just kind of makes me cringe when I go back and I'm like, ugh. This is just so toxic. And I know that probably they've all had a rebranding at this point, but I mean, I spent countless hours listening to podcasts and reading books and reading articles. They just spew these positive mantras that acting like negativity just doesn't exist at all, that you have to get up at 4 a.m. to be successful and to get everything accomplish that you want to for the day. And so when you're consuming all of this information, it becomes very impressionable. You become impressionable. And I think that just looking back at that and knowing that you have to address both positive and negative emotions to help you relate to people and be empathetic and garner resilience, that just was completely lacking in this time frame. And of course, I have to mention that Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos was part of this era too. So I didn't necessarily look up to her at all, but I don't really need to elaborate on how toxic she was and her company was. And so again, this is the the millennial girl boss CEO era. And so that was so something that really fed into my achievement addiction because again, I was consuming all of this uh, really unhelpful information. I feel like to be successful at the level of some of these women, it costs too much and it was a price that I didn't ultimately want to pay. It excludes a lot of people from all kinds of different backgrounds, races, income levels, and again, all of these walks of life. I'm proud of what I've achieved, but if it costs too much, and it goes against my life mission, I am just going to politely pass and give the opportunity to somebody else who may want that more than me. So what helps me? Do you detox or do you quit cold turkey? Do you face your fears head on or you try to avoid them? I'm gonna spend the next few minutes talking about some things that actually do help me. It helps to reframe previous negative thoughts into positive, more self-compassionate ones. And going back to Elaine Aaron, PhD's highly sensitive person book and workbook, I have been slowly going through this and actually doing the exercises in the workbook. And one of the things that I've learned about in therapy and I've learned about in this workbook is that reframing a potentially negatively perceived experience and looking at it through a more compassionate lens, especially a self-compassionate lens, really does help. And I will link just all of the different steps of how to reframe negative thoughts into more positive and self-compassionate ones in the show notes. Obviously, I am a huge advocate of therapy. That hasn't always been the case, but I like to talk as therapy. I bet you hadn't guessed that (laughs) based on the fact that I want to start a podcast about mental health and basically treat this as a therapy session and chat with you all and 
hopefully be relatable and show you that hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel. So talk therapy is really important to me as well as talking to people I trust and having a support system. And so that really helps to kind of give you that devil's advocate approach too. You could go to somebody and say, hey, am I achieving too many things? Is this an achievable goal or is it just something that I'm trying to do to kill time or to cover up a childhood wound? So really having those conversations really does help. Also using time management for good and not evil is very helpful. Taking all of the small steps that you can to remain consistent and also trying your very best to work when you don't necessarily feel motivated or productive. I'm not going to say to kind of like grin and bear it because I really hate that mantra. I think it's really toxic. Having positive thinking and setting an intention for the day. And also if you're feeling negative, then allowing yourself to feel how you feel. And the first person who told me about this was actually my husband. He would tell me, when I was having a panic attack or anxiety attack, that it's okay to feel how you feel in that moment, that it'll pass. There are positive things to look forward to. My last tip for this episode is that I have a three question test that has allowed me to streamline anything that I'm trying to achieve, whether it is taking on a particular client or if it's even doing like a separate creative project at home, if it's trying to improve something on our house, or if it's trying to decide if I need to be on a board or to go on a trip or what have you. I ask myself the following three questions when I'm evaluating a lot of my work projects and a lot of other endeavors, both personally and professionally. So number one, will the cost of doing this project, commitment, etc., be worth my time and effort? Number two, does it pertain to my overall life's mission as well as my company's mission? And my life mission is to live what I love despite fear. Fear has held me back in so many ways and it's held me back from things that I love to do in my authentic self. And so I always try to frame it within that question. Number three, we'll take too much time away from my husband and my son. They're very important to me and I love to spend time with them. And so will it take too much time away and will it not really fit our family as a whole? I also ask myself too, just kind of an extra question of if there are any red flags. I know that a lot of us have gotten in these situations in work and life that there are red flags and we don't necessarily ask those in enough time to get out of situations before they start. And so I always ask myself if there are red flags present. So I hope that this episode has given you just an inside look on what it means to have achievement addiction. I shared some of my stories, why I wanted to achieve what I've achieved, why I broke up with achievement, why I still semi have a relationship with it and still achieve things. And then just some unhelpful things that framed a lot of the hustle culture and achievement addiction that I have. And then some things that have helped me along the way. And while this episode isn't the be all end all of achievement addiction, I do hope that if you are suffering from something like this, that it does give you this relatable moment. So now it's time for the segment that we have at the end of every single episode of the Wholeheartedly podcast, and that is the journal prompt section. So for this week, I want you, if you are so inclined, to write about the following question. What is your relationship with achievement? 
And if it's negative, how do you want to change that? Or if it's positive, how do you want to continue to have more of it? The journal prompt is in the show notes, but if you have an extra five minutes, take those five minutes, just write about your relationship with achievement throughout your life. I feel like it's really eye-opening to be able to do that. So thank you for listening. If you made it to the very end, thank you so much. Again, this is such an amazing process to go through. I'm not going to lie. I get really nervous when I have to record, whether it's a solo episode or an interview episode, because it's something that I care so deeply about and it's not easy to be vulnerable. And so I'm just so appreciative that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast and to like and share it. Of course, if you have any questions or topic ideas, feel free to drop me a voice note and the link to do that is in the show notes. I feel like I've said that a thousand times this episode. So post your message and you can also email me, follow me on social media. We now have a TikTok. I was very resistant to having TikTok because again, addiction and just knowing how addictive social media is anyway, but we now have a TikTok and that is in the show notes too. So follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And if you wouldn't care, leave a review. I would really appreciate it. And it would really help people be able to find the show and hopefully be part of this proud emotional sponge community that we're creating. So I will see you in two weeks. It is the first interview episode. I'm really, really excited for you to be able to have access to this amazing conversation that will unfold in your AirPods or in the car or on your computer or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And so stay tuned for that. Be well. And I hope that you have an amazing weekend if you're listening to this on the drop date of Friday. Just have a great day whenever you're listening to this. And thank you so much for listening. This has been an Hourglass Media production.